Bibles to Genesis chapter 14. Uh, we're going to learn today from the life of an amazing man by the name of Abraham. We're going to learn what it means to live a life totally sustained by faith in the power and the person of God. Our Christian faith is not just an internal matter. Or as I've preached over the last two weeks, our faith is not a passive faith. There are times when our faith will propel us into battle. Our faith will cause us to go on the offense, to take decisive action. And this is true for our friend Abraham as a crisis has developed in his family. Now let me summarize what is happening in the first 11 verses of Genesis chapter 14. We might call this the Dead Sea War. There are two coalitions that go to war with one another. One coalition is made up of four kings and their kingdoms. The other coalition is made up of five kings and their kingdoms. Now, this coalition of five kings has been dominated not just by these four kings, but by one of the four kings in particular. They had just gone to war, and this one king had whipped up on them pretty good. Now, this coalition of five kings decided that they had had enough of this one king, and they decided to rebel, only to be defeated again by this one powerful king. Now, all of this is happening on the borders of the land in which Abraham and Sarah are living. No worries, but then it gets personal for them. One of the kings of the coalition of the five that was defeated was the king of Sodom. Now, you might remember from reading in the book of Genesis that Sodom is where Abraham's nephew, Lot, had moved. And so Abraham is in his tent one night. Sarah's just prepared him a great meal. He's finished the meal. He turns on CNN. That's Canaan's news network. And he becomes a little concerned. He learns that the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah had been attacked. So Abraham sets up in his recliner. Lot is in Sodom. What has become of his nephew, Lot? That's where we want to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 14, verse 11. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions, and they went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Now folks, let me do a little time out here and remind you of something. There is a battle raging for the soul of every human being. Not only that, there is a battle raging for the soul of every member of your family. We do have an enemy. His name is Satan. He is the God of this world. And he is after every person in your family. And you know what? I know for a fact that he has carried off captive countless souls. The devil has attacked your family. Just like this enemy had attacked Sodom and taken Lot into captivity, Satan has attacked your family. And he has taken precious members of your family and he is holding them captive. 
Authentic faith does not mean that we passively sit around and just watch this happen. In fact, real faith will often cause us to step forward even into a fierce battle for the souls of the people that we love. From the experience of Abraham, we, we learn what it means to go into battle for our families. Four things I want you to notice. Number one, we need to be concerned about this battle because let me tell you, it is a real battle. There's a reason that Abraham's nephew, Lot, was in trouble. Go back to verse 12 and read it again. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. Now, you remember the story about how Abraham and Lot divided up and, and Lot took the, the fertile plain and he moved and pitched his tent towards Sodom and then eventually moved into this wicked city named Sodom. If we could go back and talk to Abraham in person, Abraham might say something like this about his nephew Lot. You know, I'm, I'm really not surprised that this happened to my nephew Lot. I knew when he made the choice to move to Sodom that there were going to be big time problems. Sodom is a wicked city. And I knew that Lot could easily be sucked in to that cesspool of sin if he wasn't careful. But Abraham loved his nephew Lot. In spite of the mistakes that Lot made, Abraham loved him. However, I do suppose that Abraham could have said, well, Lot made his bed, let him sleep in it. He could have said, you know, Lot went his own way and he got into trouble. Let him get himself out of trouble. He could have been indifferent to the dilemma of his family, but Abraham wasn't. He was concerned. Now, I want you to, to note that I am not saying that we should always bail our children out of their pickles. In fact, I, I think that's bad parenting. It's really bad grandparenting. Okay? You don't always bail your kids and grandkids out of the pickles that they get themselves into. Sometimes they need to live with the con consequences. Listen, if they choose to go to the far country and waste their life on riotous living, that's a story in the New Testament, sometimes it's best to let them just kind of lay around in the pig's mire to realize the error of their way. But this is clearly a matter of life and death for Lot. And Abraham knew that it was time to act. And so act he did. Now, that just begs a question. Are we really concerned about the moral climate of America? Now, I know we love to gripe about it. I know we love to do that. I know we love to talk about it at the, at the water fountain at work. I know we love to complain, but really, church, are we concerned about what's happening to the moral fabric of this country? Are we concerned with the world that our children and grandchildren are going to be left to inhabit? Let me, let me tell you something, guys. This is not a playground that we're living in. It's not a playground out there. No, as a matter of fact, it is a battleground. 
Will the church of Jesus Christ be like kids playing on a playground? Or will we be like soldiers fighting on a battlefield? Heaven help the child who doesn't have a dad or a mom or a church who is concerned enough to go to battle for that kid. So are we concerned enough? Really, I wonder, church, are we burdened and concerned about the condition of souls around us? Are we concerned and burdened about our own family members who are without Christ? So if we're going to win the battle for our families and for the lost souls of this world, it all starts with a burden on our heart. We've got to be concerned. It's got to matter to us. Number two, we've got to be courageous in this battle. Abraham was a man of peace. I mean, really, Abraham wasn't one of these guys going around looking for a fight. He, he wasn't trying to, to pick a fight. Yeah. He was like that guy that Angie and I watched in a Western movie years ago. I, this is probably the reason Angie won't watch Westerns with me anymore. They're pretty predictable, you know. I mean, good guys, bad guys, Western movies, and and this this one good guy in this Western movie. I can't remember anything about the movie, uh, what the name of the movie was, who was starring in it. All I can remember was he kept saying, "I'm a peaceable man. I'm a peaceable man. I'm a peaceable man." And he was. He was a man of peace, you know until they pushed him too far. And then he became like that guy in Kenny Rogers' song. You know, he, y'all don't listen to that either. Okay, so. Abraham was a man of peace, but this man of peace becomes a warrior when it comes to his family. You see, authentic faith gives us the courage that we need to go into battle for our kids. Look at verse 14. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now you got to understand the odds are against Abraham, his army, and his allies. It appears that 318 warriors are going out against the armies of four kings. Look at verse 14 again. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, when he heard that, he did something about it. It motivated him into action. You see, it's one thing to care. It's another thing to be courageous. To be willing to act, to go into battle for the people that you love. I've said this dozens of times up here, and I think you know it's true. I love my family. I love my wife, and I love my kids. And, you know, I understand that, that part of my responsibility uh, as husband and dad is to be a provider and a protector. And so that's what I do. I'm, I'm, you know, God made me to do that. And, and so I think about that all the time. And, and, and I, I've got a plan. If somebody breaks into my house to do bodily harm to my wife and my kids. I've got a plan. They're going to have to go through me to get to them. Me and some of my friends. Mr. Cole, Mr. Glock, Mr. Smith and Wesson. But you know what? I, I, I didn't always have those friends. And I used to, I really, honestly, I used to be a peaceable man. Pine Bluff changed me a little bit, but 
early in life in ministry, we, we spent we spent seven years in Pine Bluff and and uh, lived in a parsonage right right across the parking lot from the church. Lord have mercy. Don't ever make a preacher do that, okay? But that's where we lived. And uh, at least one out of every one night out of every two weeks, we would hear gunshots close enough to our house to know it was a gunshot. I mean, it was it was a pretty wicked, violent, mean place. And and back in that, those days, I was young and. And uh, I was a peaceable man. I was a pastor, lived on church property. And, but you know what? I worried about my family. What if somebody broke into that parsonage trying to do harm to, back then it was just Angie and Whitney. Whitney was a little baby. What, what would I do? I didn't, I didn't own a gun. I couldn't protect myself like that. And so, so what I did, I'll tell you what I did, is I had protection right beside my bed, between the box springs and mattress. I kept my weapon that was going to protect my family. I was going to bring them up here, but I knew if I brought them up here, I would start twirling them around and hit myself on the back of the head and I'd be knocked out for the rest of the service. Nunchucks. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody watch Bruce Lee years ago? Nunchucks, two, two wooden sticks connected either by a chain or a rope. You twirl them around. See, I would have done it if I would have had them up here. I used to be pretty good at nunchucks. I, I was. I, I did take taekwondo. I was a green belt with nunchucks. Thank God nobody ever broke into our house. Thank God that didn't happen. You know, I'm, a, I'm the protector, so I have the plan. I, I'm going to protect my family. That's what I do. And you're the same way. If somebody broke into your house, you'd get awful courageous, wouldn't you? You know what? I've been thinking about that this week. I mean, we've been married over 30 years. It's never happened. I live in a nice neighborhood. I, I do have some pretty wild neighbors that live down the street, across the street, down from me, a couple of houses. But it's my parents, all right? They live. I doubt very seriously that's ever going to happen to any of us. And we can talk big with our numb chugs. We say we would protect our family if an intruder came in to do them bodily harm. But do you know what? Every day little things happen. Little attacks occur to our family. And we just passively sit there and watch it happen. Let me tell you something, church. There is a powerful coalition. Just like the kings of this army that took Lot captive. There are powerful forces at work in our world today. And they will use anything available to them. They will use the entertainment industry, pornography, drugs, alcohol, promiscuous sex. I want to tell you there is a thief who comes into your house to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This is a vicious enemy. And we need courage to go into battle for the souls of our families and other people that we love. 
Number three, we need to be competent for the battle. We can no longer act like, like children playing on a playground. We must act like we are soldiers fighting on a battlefield. So let me ask you really quickly, do you know how to go into battle for your family? Verse 14 again says, Now when Abram heard that his brother had been taken captive, he armed. That is, he gave them weapons. He had the weapons to give them, and he armed his 318 trained servants. They had been raised in his own household. Who trained them? I'm sure Abraham did. He armed his trained servants. Paul talks about the battle that we're in in the very same terms. In fact, over in Ephesians chapter 6, we read about this battle that we're daily engaged in and how we need to be trained and outfitted for the battle. So listen as I read these words. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. We wrestle against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, you need to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and be watchful to this end with all perseverance and all supplication for all the saints. And there it is. Paul says you need to stand your ground. And then after fighting the battle and having done everything you can do, you need to stand. And he tells us about this spiritual armor we need to put on. Why? Because we're in the middle of a battle. And if we don't put this spiritual armor on, we're going to be consumed by the wicked one. Those fiery darts from the devil are coming from every direction. And if you're not armed for it, you will be consumed by it. Now, I want you to know something about this passage. This passage means the world to me. It's been a long time ago, but God really convicted me about this passage of Scripture in my family. So I want you to know every single day, I pray this passage over my family members. Every day of my life starts the same way. I, I I jump out of bed and do a somersault because I'm so excited about the day. Well, that's that part's a lie, all right? I drag myself out of bed. I'm, I make a gallon of coffee. I go to the, the, the our little sitting room. I sit in the same place every morning. I sip some coffee, try to wake up a little bit. I, I, I do my devotions, my Bible reading on my iPad. I pull that thing out. I have a scripture 
passage that I read for the day, and after I've read my passage of Scripture for the day, I start praying. Always begin my prayer the same way. I'm giving praise to God for who He is and what He's done. And then immediately my prayer focus is for my family. I call their names out specifically. And then I place the armor of God on them piece by piece. I do this for everyone in my immediate family. Can I tell you, there have been a few times as I've been doing this that I'll, I'll have this, this little whisper in my mind and ear that says, you sure are selfish. All you pray about is your family and your church. You know, I, I come to realize that, that that is a whisper that comes from the devil because he doesn't want me praying for my family and my church. Can I tell you something, people? This is not a selfish prayer. Because if I don't pray for my family, you tell me who's going to. If I don't go to battle for my church, you tell me who's going to. God has given me my family. I'm a part of a little indigenous group of people. And if I don't protect them, and if I don't pray for them, and if I don't love them, who's going to? God's called me to do that. So every day I pray this same prayer. I call them specifically by name. And I say, oh God, I place the, the girdle of truth, the belt of truth around their waist. I pray that they would put on today the shoes of peace. I pray that they would place upon their chest that breastplate of righteousness. Take up the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. Lord, may they wear the helmet of salvation because they are living in a real world and there is an enemy that is after them. So Lord, please protect them. Now why do I pray that prayer every day for my family? Because we're in a war. Satan goes after your family with great intensity. His will, Satan's will, his desire, it is, is to destroy your family and to destroy this church. And so you cannot give that ground over to him. Therefore, stand your ground in Jesus' name by placing the armor of God on your family in daily prayer. And then having done that, you need to stand. Number four, we need to be confident in this battle. Like I said before, the, the odds were against Abraham, his army, and his allies. It appears that 318 warriors are going against the armies of four kings. And humanly speaking, the odds are against them. But Abraham had a secret weapon. He had God on his side. And God is bigger than any problem that you face in your life. And God is, is bigger than the devil. And our victory is in Jesus Christ. And trusting in Him. So Abraham goes to battle and he wins a decisive victory. 
he does this on behalf of his nephew Lot, who is in a pickle. Verse 15, he divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Damascus. So he brought back all the goods, and he also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and all the people. Church, listen, it is by God's grace and through the victory of our Lord that we can recover what has been lost. That's our message of hope. If we're concerned about the battle and we're courageous and, and we're competent and confident and we go out and we pray for and we witness to and we do battle with the devil on behalf of those that have been placed under our protection, they can be rescued. What great news! Because you know what? Every single family in this room today has someone in that family whose soul has been taken captive by the evil one. It could be one of your children. One of your grandchildren. It could be a brother or a sister, a mom or a dad, an aunt or an uncle a nephew or a niece, but every one of us has someone in our family who's been taken captive. Now you've got a couple options. You can just sit back and, and feel sorry for them or feel sorry for yourself or say, you know what, big deal, they made their bed, they can lie in it. Or you can do something about it. But I ask again, if you don't intervene and if you don't intercede, and if you don't go to battle for them, who's going to? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. There's someone in this room who, who needs to ask for forgiveness because they're away from you. Maybe they've never been saved. Maybe they've never accepted Christ as their Savior and today they need to come and receive your gift of salvation. Lord, there, there are some people in this room that are away from you, and they need to come back home. I pray that they would do so today. Lord, for the rest of us who are Christians and doing the best we can to live for you, I pray, dear God, that you would burden our hearts today for our families and even our friends whose soul has been taken captive by the evil one. And dear Lord, I, I pray that like Abraham, we would, we would go to battle for them, that we would do something. And may that battle begin today when we come and start interceding for them at the altar. Lord, I pray that you would put that family member's face right in the forefront of our mind. Right now, Lord, show us the people we need to be battling for. And then, dear Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to come and start praying for them. Help us to act now. 
it's in your name we pray. I'm going to ask that you stand. Our altars are open. We